Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to Thanksgiving weekend here from Wisconsin. Rebecca Lynch is on vacation, uh, very much earned. Uh, she is off traveling. I think she's in Vegas and then headed home. Uh, but we do have Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, happy tur- Turkey Week, everyone. Yeah, it's uh, Wednesday morning. We normally record Thursday mornings, but uh, we are going to be all off for Thanksgiving and family friendly, uh, very much. So, um, but we wanted to start by at least start by thanking all of our members and everybody who came to our Brewfest fundraiser this past Monday night. It was uh, it was a packed room, a good crowd of co-op members. Um, we were fortunate to have a, a number of our staff in from all over the state because um, we had a retreat, a little mini retreat this week. And so it was really nice to have all of our staff, including uh, a number of some new staff that will be uh, debuting on the uh, podcast and the show over the next uh, month or so. We'll be introducing you to some of our new staff. Uh, we're very excited about that. But um, Robert, your thoughts on uh, the Brewfest and in particular... I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, how fortunate we were to have uh, three speakers. And in particular, we had Mandela Barnes as our keynote. We're also fortunate to have uh, Congresswoman Gwen Moore and uh, a a third person that I want you to tell us about And because it starts to put our focus on 2019. Well, if you missed uh, Brewfest, sorry about that, but uh, we will we'll have one next year. Feel again. free to go online and donate, right? right. If you feel well, really guilty. I, was, you know, right. I wasn't going to be as commercial. Uh, giving Tuesday is not for a week, but um, giving giving day do, every do it day. On giving Tuesday, but uh, <laughs> I meant we're going to we'll publicize it way more in advance next year around this election. It came up real quick. So, yep, Mandela Barnes, who's a Citizen Action board member, executive committee member, and organizing co-op member, is our new lieutenant governor, and really has been marked by MSNBC as one of the most exciting up-and-coming young leaders in the in the country. You know, he's marked by me, too, that hmm. way, too. Yeah, he was announced the other day. Well, well right. I didn't, think, <laughs> I didn't think any of our opinions MSNBC. were as important as MSNBC, but may, you're Adam right, you're right to point out. Yes, there you go. By. There you go. Uh, good point. And so... And of course, we had Congresswoman Gwen Moore, who is continues to be an, an iconic figure because she has created the kind of alliance we need for progressive power. I mean, really, it is an alliance between people of color and white progressives and a lot of white independents. I want to yeah. quickly bring up one thing about uh, the Congresswoman that's really important uh, that our listeners should be aware of. Congresswoman Moore would like to uh, be on the Ways and Means Committee, which would be huge Mm -hmm. because that has a huge budget. And and in particular, Medicare, Medicaid, um, if I'm correct, their budgets go through that committee. Oh, yeah, tons of stuff. It's it's the most power. It's considered the most powerful committee. And uh, quite frankly, Nancy Pelosi, who is close with Gwen, uh, Nancy Pelosi came here, did an event with us and Gwen on pre-existing conditions this summer. is now giving away posts, and quite frankly, so hopefully she's going to remember her good friend Gwen. And in all fact, of this. if anything, our listeners feel free to contact the Pelosi office and and say, <laughs> "Look, I'm a I'm someone who believes in in Congresswoman Moore, and she should be on the Ways and Means Committee." Right? This is, it's her time, and she knows exactly, especially as someone who sat on Joint Finance in Wisconsin. This is someone who 
totally understands how you rip a budget apart and how to prioritize money going for and in, uh, people. And in fact, the deal that Nancy Pelosi, according to National Press Reports, uh, uh, reached with Martha Fudge, the uh, congresswoman from from Cleveland, um, included, because Martha is now not going to challenge uh, Pelosi, included making sure that women of color have a substantial role in, in, in governance in Congress. So there's a perfect opportunity. Uh, Gwen is perfect for that. So let us know then, Robert. Uh, Gwen introduced uh, someone who was uh, surprised that came and uh, was able to speak and really get our attention focused on uh, 2019 elections. Well, one of the great things about our host, Matt Brusky, I mean, there are many great things, but uh, one of them is, is that we're, we're just through this grueling election and Matt's thinking about the next election. And so we got state Supreme Court. By the way, this is not the state Supreme Court race that the Republicans are talking about in the lame duck changing the date of. It's the 2021. So we know the dates for this one. They're already set. Uh, be this uh, may not be a primary, so it'd just be an April April, yep. April general election. And Lisa Neubauer from the uh, Racine area is running. She's a very established judge. Uh, her daughter's in the state assembly, Gretchen Neubauer, and her husband uh, Jeff Neubauer is very well known in in politics in Racine and in South Central Wisconsin generally. In fact, is working hard to try to make sure that some of those Foxconn jobs go to the people in Racine who need them most, especially people of color who are shut out of the economy. So one of the reasons why I think it's so important to talk about this judge race, and, and Lisa in particular, is because of who is being replaced. Um, we did a whole, like, I think we did almost an entire podcast, at least half a show, when Shirley Abramson st decided she was going to retire. Because this is really a historic figure on our state Supreme Court, who was done wrong, by the way, uh, uh, w in the way she had her, her leadership taken away, right, as Chief right. Justice, and really, in many ways, historic figure, probably one of, you know, early uh, female leader, both judicially, but also in politics. Um, and so Lisa would be replacing uh, this really historic Chief Justice. And so this race is very important. It is not something we can lose, not something we can take for granted. And I'll just say we're going to have um, Lisa on uh, to talk more about her campaign We, you know, for, for Supreme Court probably next month. I spoke to her yesterday. She uh, was very excited to come to the Brewfest. Thank you to the over 60 people who signed up to get involved in her campaign, she said at the event, uh, for understanding how important this race is. But we'll hear more, talk more about that race going forward, but definitely wanted to flag that. Uh, the other big thing that I'm really thankful for um, that, that occurred at Brewfest was we had a number of our members who ran for state legislature, uh, co-op members, show up to the Brewfest and they are just super, still super excited about the change, even if we came up short in a number of races, but Liz Sumner was there, Emily Segrist, uh, Erica Flynn, Gabriel Gomez, uh, uh, Jim Brownlow, a number of members who ran. Um, so super thankful to all of them. They inspired us and they've really led the way as to what we can do uh, to change uh, the way our politic happens, but also what's happening in some of our suburban areas here in the Milwaukee area where a number of them ran. Yeah, let me just add to that. Uh, there's been this unfortunate tendency among kind of mainline Democrats only to celebrate the winners. And the folks who go and, and run really hard races and don't come out on top, they're not treated as people who did anything for the cause or the movement. I think on the right, they're better about that. 
And so, quite frankly, all of the doors these folks did, all the volunteers they generated to do doors, this did dramatic help for top of the ticket. So in Waukesha County, where we had these very active campaigns, right? I mean, Robin Vining had a piece of Waukesha County and won a very close race. Um, Julie Henze, a Citizen Action member, would have been there at Brewfest, but is out of the country right now, almost won in a, in a Republican seat against one of the rising stars in the Republican Party, Dale Coinga, where they spent a ton of money just to hold on to that seat. She helped the top of the ticket. So in the governor's race... Uh, literally 17,000-plus extra votes came out of Waukesha County over 2004, and I think part of that was the incredible work these candidates did. So we should be complimenting them and giving them credit for what they did uh, to help win this election and further encouraging them or other people like them to run again and keep running because the, it took a long time, but the Milwaukee suburbs are beginning to change. They're probably about 20 years behind the Chicago suburbs uh, in terms of becoming more purple. And then in Chicago Cubs, suburbs have become blue eventually, a number of them. And so I think that, that, that we need to keep that up because we need to break kind of the solid red kind of monopoly on that suburban ring around Milwaukee. That has really been essential to Walker holding power, and that is beginning to change, but it only changes if we have really good candidates and we keep talking to people in those districts every election and organizing between elections. Yeah, and so spring elections are right around the corner. And by the way, a number of folks, I think, who possibly ran this fall, you may see them again running uh, for local office, right? There's a lot of great folks uh, who got involved this this year. So we just want to encourage everyone to seriously consider running for office. If you're sitting here, if you're listening right now, uh, particularly if you live, even if you live in, as Robert said, these Republican areas, it, we want to challenge you to, to run. And it starts by preparing yourself to run for office. Feel free to reach out to any of us at Citizen Action. Let us know you're interested. But we think you should get trained. Uh, there's a number of great training programs. Um, we certainly have some within our network that we'd be happy to tell and, and encourage folks to do. But you, if you're a woman, you should go through Emerge. It's an amazing organization that allows you to network with other women who are considering either running for office, helping uh, lead campaigns. But a lot of the folks we just talked about all went through a merge, and those networks that they built with each other, support networks, were critical. Uh, also, Wisconsin Progress um, will, will, has all kinds of trainings, both one day but also multiple days, and they teach you how to run a campaign, right? Um, and some of the fundamentals that are critical in order to win. Um, and, of course, we would love to help help you partner in those kinds of relationships and also just sort of around issues and other kinds of support. But you can do this. Anybody can do this. So with that, we're going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the lame duck that is coming up uh, and a few more issues. Uh, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Robert, we got to talk about what's being called lame duck. Maybe for this week, I'll call it lame turkey. Um, certainly, I Voss lame and Powell, anyway. <laughs> Voss and uh, uh, Fitzgerald. Certainly, I think this is a turkey of an idea. Yeah, that that was too a golden turkey. Yeah. I think we should probably edit that one out. No, um, so lame duck, right? And again, that's just sort of a generic term for a whole leadership group that is 
essentially the election's over. They ought not uh, be meeting uh, until the new legislature and governor and administration is in place. But, Robert, about a week ago, word started getting out that Voss was very interested in this. Fitzgerald met with Walker. Walker tacitly seems to have signed off and approved on this. But uh, this lame duck includes a number of potential things, including potentially a Kimberly-Clark deal, a Foxconn-like Kimberly-Clark deal. But then there's a number of really important things about really going after Tony Evers' ability to govern and really stripping key components of his ability to govern. Um, one of them would be uh, looking at his appointments on WEDAC, whole host of things. But uh, another one that came up last week was the idea that we would take the uh, Supreme Court race in 2020 and move it, change its date, where we would actually have three elections, I think over a three-month period uh, in the spring. Robert, more on this lame duck. And that one kind of goes to the core of the issue because voters of all types, including Republicans, don't like when government is run for the interests of politicians. And they're willing to put us through an extra election, cost us millions of dollars. Clerks are saying across the country, as a state, and if you think about it, most counties, because of the nature of the distribution of the population, would be the clerks would be Republicans, okay, for and, the most part. And just for clarity yeah. on what Robert's talking about, the reason they want to do this, right, is yeah. presidential election in um, 2020, Democrat is going to is going to be very competitive. The concern is right; it'll just be Trump. So there'll be a, they're worried there'll be a surge of more Democratic voters, and somehow that'll be uncompetitive be for too their too many voters, too many voters, right? And so they're talking about moving it to March, is my understanding. And they In have an between. incumbent to protect Justice Kelly, yeah. and so it's important to spend millions of dollars, uh, confuse voters. Uh, poll, the clerks don't even know they can find poll workers for this many elections. Uh, but wouldn't matter. Everyone has to go through this. And I like the uh, press report on this. Um, it is, quote, aides to Walker, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, and Senator Sepp-Jorlier Scott Fitzgerald did not say whether the concerns of clerks would influence their proposal to change when the 2020 presidential primary is held. And so there you go. What is it specifically? They don't care. They're not about governing. And that's partly why Walker lost. In fact, it's the main reason. Uh, but then what Evers is able to do is connect that to things like health care to say, because he doesn't care about governing, your health care costs are skyrocketing and pre-existing conditions. People with them are threatened. Uh, so I think this is just more of the same. And I think uh, we want to try to stop them. But at a broader level, um, if, they, if they act in this fashion, since they have the power, uh, then it simply sets up the budget debate and probably turns public opinion against the obstructionism and the and the political nature of the Republican Party, which not enough people see. The press has this kind of silly attitude that each side is the same and pox on both your houses and just turns people off politics generally with failing to report that one side, the Republicans, is really much more crass and power-hungry and willing to do anything to get their way than the other. Remember, they're, they're going to say over and over again, Matt, that there was a Democratic lame duck, right, after, uh, after Walker's election. Well, the Democratic lame duck not only didn't get much done other than failing to ratify the state employee contract, the Democrats just fought among each other. You watch. You'll, you'll, you'll see. You'll, unfortunately, we'll see. We'll see if there are any brave Republicans in this who say, okay, this is just wrong. I'm not voting with what Walker, Voss, and Fitzgerald tell me to do, or whether they, they toe the line yet again. So, folks, this is where we 
and you all come in now. And uh, a number of our co-op members and leaders uh, met over the weekend when they heard about this happening. And we have organized some pushback. And we want to start to go back and talk to the very same state legislators who just narrowly won re-election, many of them against members of Citizen Action. And we want to go in and start calling voters in their district, texting voters in their district, and encourage them to contact Koyunga, Ott, and all these fine representatives who were sent back Petrowski. by the skin of their teeth. Um, and so we are going to be having in our office Monday, November 26th, Tuesday, November 27th, and Wednesday, November 28th, between 5 and 8 p.m., Opportunities for you to come in, call in, text. We'll have all the stuff set up, and it'll be into, obviously, current Republican legislators. Uh, just to tell them they, they, this is how awful this is, right? And to make sure that we get voters um, who may have, in this case, voted for these representatives to call and get them to stop. Um, but at the very least, what we want to do is put pressure on them and connect this to letting them know the 2020 election begins with horrendous decision if they were to actually support this. So I want to, again, encourage you to come to our office. We're at 221 South 2nd Street, um, and it's uh, number 300. But feel free to reach out to uh, any of us between, b between now and any of those dates, and we'll get you the information. Um, but really want to encourage folks to get involved again next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the 26th the 28th, 5 to 8 p.m. And we are working with our other organizing groups around the state. Our Milwaukee members are about replicating this in yep. other parts of the state. So don't worry. It's not going to be only Milwaukee. We're just figuring that out. But we should talk a little bit more, Matt, yep. about we don't know for sure. No one knows what they're actually going to do because this stuff's done in secret at the governor's mansion, right, in the back stairs. Uh, but what's been speculated is that they would try to ram through a Foxconn-like subsidy for Kimberly Clark, that they have a problem that they're, they don't have unity, it appears, among their own members, and that's their rationale for the uh, special session, the uh, lame foul session, as I think I want to call it from now on. The lame turkey. Yes, and then they want to make it so the governor can't appoint many people to WEDEC and protect WEDEC. We'll get into that more. In well, a, because it's a beautiful organization we'll get, that In a future segment, we want to dig into that protection. more. There's like a fine fine, rare animal. They want to limit the governor's role in rulemaking. Uh, in other words, take away Evers' power of rulemaking. They want to, um, there's talk, though this is, no one can figure out how this is even constitutional unless they've rigged it with the state Supreme Court. Uh, who knows? That they would take away redistricting r role altogether for the governor so they could go and gerrymander the state again without the governor, which since, they, since basically it's passing a bill, it's like saying that they got taking the governor out of the lawmaking process. So it seems impossible, but that's been floated. I think there's some others, Matt, that I'm probably missing. Well, without going into details, listeners, I just have a question for you. Were any of these things that you heard about in the endless ads about Walker? No. You don't hear a special session to try to restrict Tony Evers' ability to allow sex predators into schools, right? That ought to be what they'd be well, right, to solve, he's right? going to be working to yes. you know, release large right. numbers of sex predators in I've schools. heard nothing. Yes. I've heard nothing over the last two weeks about that issue, which probably was half the ads. Nothing about that. But you'll notice you're actually hearing things 
from Governor-elect Evers about what he ran ads on. Going to accept the Medicaid money, looking into um, how he can, over his, uh, 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 over his term, cut prison population, right? Really important. Came out yesterday, great clarity, planning to disband WEDEC. We're going to talk more about that after this break. But, right, going to get rid of WEDEC. Interesting. Some things we've been talking about, right? And increase the budget for public education, right? Those are those seem very similar to things I heard ads about, right? So it, it is revealing in terms of what we're talking about, Robert, in Though, terms of... to be fair, Matt, <laughs> let, we always want to be fair and balanced. Uh, <laughs> just a little hint to Fox News or Fix News. Um, the, uh, Speaker Voss did say that his number one priority in the lame foul session was pre-existing condition discrimination, which is the issue they lost on. Uh, I'm willing to take bets with uh, listeners as they won't to whether they, whether they pass or what they pass is any good, because the bill they have already allows insurance companies to charge more if you've had any gap in coverage, which is a loophole big enough to drive a a ship through. Uh, because literally, if you come down with cancer, lose your job, you may well have a gap in coverage. If you can't afford the coverage, then you end up with a gap in coverage. And furthermore, they support junk or lemon plans, which means, and this is a preview of what we'll say if this crappy bill gets offered as the solution, it is that if they can decide how to structure the, the insurance coverage so it doesn't cover vital things, then you just figure out all the expensive things and make sure they're capped in some way or aren't really covered. And then you've essentially discriminated against people pre-existing conditions because insurance companies only care about not paying even if you technically have something they call coverage yeah look if they want to bring up pre-existing conditions again with their bill that does nothing even if they pass it it really does nothing since the aca is still governing go right ahead we'd be happy to continue the conversation about pre-existing coverage with the public as we <laughs> look forward to 2020 and changing the legislature even more so with that we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to dive a little bit in, talk a little bit more about uh, the fact that Evers did announce that he wants to get rid of WEDEC. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. This is our special Thanksgiving episode. We spent the first part, well, thanking everyone uh, who supported us this year, came out to the Brew Fest talking about the lame turkey session that the Voss Fitzgerald crew wants to call, further exposing their undemocratic nature. And Robert, what I want to get your thoughts on this week is Tony Evers going to disband WEDEC, or at least he is going to continue to push forward. He's not backing away from his campaign promise to get rid of WEDEC, which I like, given that they were. Tr this is a core part of the lame turkey session so robert we've been talking about this pretty much since governor walker created WEDEC, calling for the closure of WEDEC. a lot of people thought we were being a little too over the top shouldn't they just you know better rein it in do things like that but it appears uh, tony evers agrees with us that we should get rid of WEDEC. Uh, he does, and he said so during the campaign, and they went crazy. Oh, 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 it's terrible. Oh, and they got various economic development experts, i.e. representatives of big corporations, to say, oh, oh it would be terrible in the media. No ads, though. So what does that tell you? Mm -hmm. 
tells you they, they realize the public would not be upset about disbanding WEDEC. And so this is another, I know there's some concerns on the left whether or not Tony Evers is bold enough. He's been super bold on cutting the prison population half, and he's just been clear. He's not said, I'm going to reform WEDAC. Actually, there was a lot of trepidation among some, some, not most, Democratic legislators. He just said, we're abolishing the thing, and we're going back to making it a public entity, that the public-private partnership didn't work. And, of course, we've gone over in the battleground Wisconsin the litany of what a disaster this thing was. This thing is still ill-equipped, according to the Audit Bureau, to tell whether the jobs they gave a company money for were actually created or not. And this isn't because it's hard. It's because they don't want to know. Because they're, you have to, after seven years, you just have to conclude they don't want to know. This is not that hard. And so we held the, pre the first press conference against WEDEC when the bill was rammed through in a couple days during Walker's first 100 days. It was like before Act 10. Ah, governing. And we totally, I've said this before, we've understated at that time how bad it would be. We were very concerned. We thought there might be less accountability. But Lord knows, we didn't know that a large number of the companies, as we talked about a lot a couple of years ago, outsourced more jobs than they created. And that's appropriate, Matt, because WEDEC is outsourcing our economic development policies of the state and the, of the public to corporate leaders themselves who have a conflict of interest because they benefit from the subsidies. But instead, we got as a response from John Nigren from Marinette, uh, who has been okay on some issues, uh, uh, but uh, particularly um, uh, the opiate crisis, but not so much on WEDAC, being very concerned and he says the public-private partnership WEDEC has, fo it, it has fostered is crucial, reverting back to the ways of the failed Department of Commerce. Uh, you mean the one that actually could count how many jobs the company was supposed to create under Jim Doyle? Is a recipe for overburdensome government regulation. You mean like you have to pay the money back if there's a loan or you have to create the job if you get money to make the job? This will not only stifle the Wisconsin comeback, but it could end it. Can I just say about the Wisconsin comeback, we should get to the wonderful fiscal comeback that Governor Walker ran on as well, that Wisconsin has run behind all of our neighbors and the country as a whole from the recovery from the Great Recession under, under Scott Walker. Okay, that The comeback has been a decline a relative decline during, during a nationally expanding economy, and it will be even worse the next time there'll be a recession, and there will be. Well, look, I mean, this is that old overburdensome government regulation, right? I mean, come on. This is the red this tape. Is... The red tape is like you actually have to track what the money was for. I mean, we're talking about taking just taxpayers' money and essentially giving it to private for-profit corporations, in some cases, you know, not even from Wisconsin or even from the country, right? And the notion that we would have actual regulation or oversight of that resource or want to make sure that it's actually meeting a public good other than just what the CEO or, or the shareholders of that corporation might consider good for them uh, be taken into consideration. There's one other thing that Tony said that I think is really useful, and I moved a little more in his direction on this. I, I, I'm someone who thinks that we ought to try to use these resources occasionally to figure out how we can target development, particularly that will expand opportunity for, for workers. But I'm increasingly convinced this is a tricky area, and Tony's right that we ought to be much more discerning about when we do that. And just as a general practice, 
we our economic policy ought to be really investing in you know education and in the kinds of things that actually really create opportunity and looking about how we do that that actually creates real strategic growth throughout the state and our communities, not just picking winning and lo- winners and losers and thinking about how do we actually stimulate that throughout the state. But just in general, probably a little less public dollars towards this kind of development, yep. a lot more towards yeah. investing in our people and in our workers. I mean, why not spend money to make free college, free tech schools, free secondary schools, and in really investing in the workers and the people as opposed to these CEOs and these completely haphazard, like it's almost like playing Monopoly, right? You know, Robert? Matt, you're being over generous because you said they were picking winners and losers. <laughs> um, picking losers. I'm, that's no, about... they're not picking anything. So when we, this is another WEDEC uh, yeah. highlight, when we pointed out after the unrest in the Sherman Park neighborhood in Milwaukee that the three big clusters of jobs the WEDEC map claimed they created in Sherman Park were actually created in Waukesha County, where there's no good mass transit, uh, when that happened, their response was, we don't, we can't decide where the jobs are going to be. It just depends who applies. So in other words, the companies decide where the jobs are going to be. And to add to that, Matt, when it was revealed that Foxconn was going to make smaller screens, LCD screens, and probably, according to all the experts, only need a quarter the number of jobs, uh, the head of WEDAC, Mark Hogan, who doesn't like us very much, has said mean things about us and me personally, at least to spokespeople. You can't actually meet with him. Uh, and I guess they're going to try to protect him in the lame turkey, so he continues on in his role. When he was told about, asked about the Foxconn changing its whole business model before, uh, before they even built the plant, he said, it's not our job to micromanage them. This is after we're putting $4 billion in. What investor would say that? They know how to run a big company. Um, we can trust them. Okay, we have that man in charge of our, our money. Uh, we'll close this up by saying uh, they took a leap of faith in Foxconn. And, um, yeah. It was with supposed that... to lead to Governor Walker's re-election. So, <laughs> you know, shall we say things didn't go as planned. So, look, Tony's being really bold on this, and I think it's important that folks support him in this. This is, this is a big deal, and I, I actually think he'll be fought on this, and he's probably not going to—it's going to be complicated, but this can become— further an election issue as we go down that Tony is actually willing to fight for this is, is a great sign. And can we say something about the, uh, just briefly Matt, about the little the little fiscal hole uh, that the governor left behind? Because the governor campaigned on, he'd fixed the whole state's fiscal mess, it was a disaster, and now we have surpluses and smiled in front of the camera and his cardigan sweaters and his etc. doing this. And now it turns out that there's $1.2 billion less that is needed just to cover what his own departments are recommending uh, for the budget. And by the way, it's funny because we, with our friends at Kids Forward and other allies, did an alternative state budget last time. We can raise about that in three ways, taking the Medicaid money, getting rid of the uh, the manufacturer agricultural tax credit giveaway, which gives a company uh, a, a tax-free status if they're a manufacturer, whether they create any new jobs or not, and then getting rid of their changes to capital gains tax, which made it so we're taxing people's work at a much higher rate than than people who make money off of having investments. And by the way, Robert, if you do that, there's enough money, I believe, also to follow through on Tony's other promise, which is to give working families who make under $100,000 or more, a tax break, right? So 
just delivering on another promise, right, which we know is a more progressive tax structure. So there you go. The money's there. And conservatives never do that. They just say they're doing it. So remember Trump said he was going to get get a middle-class tax again before the election, and nothing materialized because the president doesn't know how legislation works. So... Kudos to uh, Evers, again, for his positioning on this. Let's hope that uh, we can uh, really get mobilized to put a lot of pressure on Republicans because they're going to fight all this, right? It's obvious, Robert, the reason DOA and it was Department of Administration released all these numbers is try to you know, make it look like Tony couldn't do his, his uh, education increase in money, which, by the way, is extraordinarily telling, right? Those jokers ran on education, right? The Republicans were trying to out-Democrat, especially in targeted races, uh, and saying that they would get more money for education. The first thing they do is try to come up with a dollar amount that's almost exactly the amount wow. that Evers wants to increase but for it's education. Also the- the, the party of fiscal imprudence, and they always try to run the opposite. But since the early 1980s, when they decided, hey, we're going to give the tax cuts, the big tax cuts, and say it'll pay for itself when it won't, ever since then, every Republican president has run up giant deficits. And the current one is doing it as well and it, at Trump, Bush, Bush, Reagan. And so this is the party of fiscal irresponsibility. And this isn't even including most of the Foxconn payments haven't even kicked in yet. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, hey, folks, remember, if Kimberly Clark gets its money, it's above and beyond the fact that Manag has them paying no taxes right now. It's why, as we used to say, we're turning over bags of money to Foxconn. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. So we were talking before the break about the fiscally ridiculous Republicans and yet another left us with a yet another structural deficit of over a, a billion dollars. If but only uh, they were like their ads. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> so, False advertising. <laughs> so so we're going to continue to keep an eye on on the budget. We think it's a huge issue. And of course, as Robert mentioned, Central to that is accepting the federal Medicaid money, so we think that's like ground zero. It's got to happen. But we really do believe that Tony needs to seriously make a push around badge care public option and really actually look to do something significant, if not radical, on health care. Robert, you've mentioned this. The public supports this exit polling showing, what was it, 67% of the public wants significant and serious health care reform coming out of the election? The exit poll, yeah, 67%, and uh, health care was the top issue by 22%. There, this is one place where there's an absolutely clear mandate. So it includes, obviously, taking the money, but that's not, I don't think that constitutes significant health care reform in and of itself. It right. includes Tony Evers's really underappreciated bold proposals on prescription drug prices, which is literally create a review board and national people, because... Kevin Kane and our staff and I were just in New Orleans for a big healthcare summit. Are very impressed with what Tony proposed on prescription drugs uh, during the uh, during during the election. And then, of course, he is for a Badgerkare public option, which is a major step in expanding choice, uh, letting people buy into a very successful Badgerkare program and choose that over corporate insurance, and a step towards Medicare for all because we're expanding the role of the public in healthcare, which is the only way to bring down cost, which we we just absolutely have to do. So we're going to continue to have a campaign as we go into the budget cycle, both around 
making sure that the Republicans accept the money, right, that that's a key part, but really keeping the pressure on to our vision of moving towards an increasingly public system, right? Less private and public options critical to that. So we'll be talking a lot more about that, but I do want to mention the sponsor, one of the sponsors, we have two sponsors of that bill, Senator Latanya Johnson here in Milwaukee, who's obviously a crusader and fighter on health care. And she's on joint finance, yep. so she has a, a big role in the budget. So we'll continue to track that, but like that's someone we'll, we'll have on the podcast going forward to talk more about both BadgerCare Public Option, but also her role on joint finance and what we all can do to support the joint finance Democrats who are on there as we go forward into next year. Uh, the other author, though, of on the assembly side is Eric Genrich. And I wanted to at least take a minute to make sure our listeners in northeast Wisconsin understand the importance coming up in spring of 2019. Eric's running for mayor of Green Bay. That is extraordinarily exciting because Eric's very serious, both as from a policy perspective, as a progressive, right? hence Badger Public Option, but also an energetic person who we think can run the kind of campaign that's necessary to, to win an election for mayor of Green Bay, a city that has not had a progressive mayor in decades. And he is a true blue progressive. He is one of the founding members of our Northeast Wisconsin Organizing Co-op, him and Senator Dave Hansen, another champion yep. Yep. Uh, for average people. And Quite frankly, the, the way this developed on Badger Public Option, and I, I mean this, I'm sure Eric will be fine with this, just to understand how legislators, real lawmakers, ought to work, um, I was in a lot of touch with Eric because during the big health care resistance uh, and uh, with him and what was going on, and we had a number of chats, particularly when he was driving back to his home district from Madison, about what we could do at the state level to start to like actually reform the system and not just be against what Trump was doing. And he got very interested in this Badger Care public option model that we talked about. He started researching it, brought Senator Johnson and her, and her staff in, and we worked with them. But the idea is, is that literally he was looking for ideas and then uh, constructive ideas, talking to, to other people in the movement who knew what was going on and had connection to national context for tracking the healthcare debate. And, uh, and came up with this great proposal that literally became the one thing, one of the one things that every Democrat candidate for governor supported and, and virtually every candidate for state legislature supported. So this was a huge agenda-setting move, and because we worked out with him, we helped with our members all over the state and organizing co-ops popularize it, but we couldn't have done it without a partner like him. So this is an exact example of how we need to govern together and we need legislators who and and in this case a mayor who understands that so he still exercised independent judgment he did the research etc it's not like we told him what to do but it was a relationship where he was in contact with people and figuring out what to do and then using his capacity and lawmaking authority to move forward with something that had inf had major influence even though the republicans wouldn't even hold a hearing on it so to any of our members or folks who want to become members of our organizing cooperative in northeastern Wisconsin, strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, Eric, obviously a critical leader in getting that off the ground. So please reach out to Jolie Lizette, and we'll have her contact info here on the website uh, to talk with her about how you can get involved and join our organizing cooperative. If you're an, a member now, please reach out to her and let her know that you're very interested in getting involved in helping Eric. Uh, we are going to have a, 
uh, screening process where Eric will come and talk with our members uh, about his race uh, before any kind of endorsement would be made. But really want to encourage, if you are interested in that and being involved in that, please reach out to Jolie. She'll be organizing that in the next month or so. And uh, that is going to be a huge priority for us here at Citizen Action. Um, and by the way, uh, for folks who don't know, that area, the Green Bay media market, is one of the markets where where in the past there's been significant amounts of swings in you know support for Republicans or Democrats. It's generally a Republican area, but you know it could mean a lot to have a Democratic leader going into a presidential year who could really help us organize. Um, so, and Eric is totally worthy of that support. So. Before we go, Robert, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So we talked about how we had Anita Johnson on uh, right mm. after the election because of the ballot situation in Milwaukee and that we had so many early votes and Anita was involved in a lawsuit that allowed early voting to be expanded. And so Scott Walker just seems like he can't stop trying to make it sound as if there was criminality or corruption or even, you know, incompetence over at the uh, Milwaukee Election Commission, which is completely fabricated. They're just following policies that the state legislature set out, which includes, by the way, folks, they cannot count the ballots until Election Day. Well, the absentees. Walker, once upon a time in the presidential race, Walker tried to distinguish himself from Trump. Now he's acting very Trumpy. So you just say it. Right, and you will, and you actually play on various biases against uh, against the only majority person of color municipality in the state. I think is Milwaukee, right, um, or close to it. And so, this is a very well regarded election commission. This is a very the, the elections are very very well run in Milwaukee. This is not like some of the things you see out in the in in the in, in the southern states that walker wants to emulate i mean his policies in many ways came from the, uh, the southern part of the united states and so for him to say that is just outrageous and i think city officials are right to demand an apology he has no evidence whatsoever that's why i say it's trumpy he just says it and there are people on his side who believe it it is nothing like what happened in waukesha county uh, during the, sta the famous state Supreme Court race in 2011, where they found a whole bunch of extra ballots not counted in Brookfield days after the election. right? And, the, and we were supposed to believe in the great integrity of that system. but This happened the same night, okay? Uh, I understand it was grating to him that the votes that put Tony over the top came from Milwaukee because he has had a war against Milwaukee and, and, and quite frankly, benefited a great deal by his divide-and-conquer strategies against the, uh, the, the largest city in the state of Wisconsin. That was never in anyone's interest, only in his personal political interest. And so there's kind of a divine justice in these votes putting him over the top, putting Evers over the top. But let's face it, all votes count equally, right? The votes in Wausau and La Crosse and Eau Claire and Madison and Waukesha County counted just as much in getting it. It's just that these ones were, were announced last by the media. And that early voting was expanded, and so there might have been some more votes in there that and might not have. tried to restrict yep. it, and we and One Wisconsin Now Institute and a number of individual players won a lawsuit 
that uh, re removed those restrictions, more divine justice. And then he couldn't get a recount because he, in retaliation for Jill Stein's recount um, in 2016, made a law that said you couldn't ask for one if, it w if, if the margin was over 1%. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sweet justice. So, you know, one other thing, Robert, as you were talking about those numbers, that is, I think, a bit revealing. And as someone who grew up in Wauwatosa, grew up in Wauwatosa, I always thought of it as a very conservative, ruby red kind of city, even though, Did it admittedly, you as a young person. <laughs> <laughs> no, it oppressed our neighbors to right. the east, right? And, and, it was well known for that, right? That it was highly segregated and it was conservative. It was always Republican. Now, admittedly, it did have Peggy Rosenzweig for a while. It had a brand of more moderate Republican, but moved very hard right uh, with the entire Republican Party. And I bet if you look at when Governor Walker was first elected, the performance of Wauwatosa, where he lives, and in particular the neighborhood, the people who know him best, right? Um, has completely radically changed under his leadership. We've gone from a probably he carried Wauwatosa, I bet, by 15, 20 points in his first election. He got clubbed in Tosa. In fact, uh, I think he only won one or two wards, and that one ward Leah Vukmir lives in. So the times are changing in a lot of these areas, and I want to, again, thankful, very thankful to all of the Citizen Action members who were involved in helping make that happen over the year and who will be still there involved in continuing the change throughout our communities. But with that, we got to run. We want to thank everybody. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Rebecca Lynch, we hope you're having a good vacation, and we'll see everybody next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.